Hello there, thrill seekers. Let's talk about the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Okay, I now, for reasons that I maybe I'll explain, am the proud owner. I don't know if proud is the word, but I'm the owner of one, two, one, two, three, four, and arguably five different versions of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. The earliest one that I ever owned was this. I've had this for years. Every time I've tried to read this one, I got bogged down early on in the book and didn't go much further. Uh, this is the version I want to talk about today, which I've managed to get through completely. This one I came across at a store in LA that was selling crystals and things that my niece wanted to go into and I was like oh this kind of interesting that this shows up here so I, I bought it like you know the universe wants me to have it one of those stupid new agey ideas uh, this one is another one that when I was in Florida we happened to go to a big Goodwill store and I was poking through the book section and, and here this is for a dollar so I couldn't pass that up and then this one I had to have because I'm kind of a Beatle geek and this was supposedly the inspiration for one of my favorite Beatles songs uh, Tomorrow Never Knows on the Revolver album the last song on Revolver uh, so uh, this is Timothy Leary and Ram Dass before he was Ram Dass when he still shined, sang his name as Richard Alpert. Uh, this was their rewrite of the Tibetan Book of the Dead based on this version, uh, but reworded so that it fit an LSD trip instead of uh, Book of the Dead. Anyway, so what's the Tibetan Book of the Dead? Well, glad you asked, because I'm probably not the best qualified person to tell you, but I'll tell you what I know about it. The Tibetan Book of the Dead is not called the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead was the title given it by, uh, what were the names of the authors? Uh, oh, one author, W.Y. Evans Wentz. And the actual book, uh, or the actual title of the book is Bardo Todal, I think is how you pronounce it. And uh, But everybody titles it Tibetan Book of the Dead now, ever, ever since this one including scholars, so I guess that's what we call it now. Uh, the bar I'm not sure what Bardo Toldal means. Bardo is an in-between state, as in in-between living and living this life and living the next life and so on. I'm not sure what Toldal means. I just looked it up and it means liberation in the intermediate state between this life and the next through hearing, through hearing the reading of this book. That's what Bardo told all means. And it was supposedly written by a great Tibetan Lama and then buried in the ground for, I don't know, a few hundred years and then found later. There's lots of stories like that in Buddhism. I don't know how much of, of it to, to believe as historical truth. But anyway, it exists now and it's part of the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Uh, and what it is meant to do is you are supposed to read this book to a person who is either uh, going to die, you know he's on his way out, he or she is on his way out, or uh, if you don't make it, uh, you're supposed to read it to the, the corpse, read it near the corpse that's just died so that uh, somehow that 
being will hear the words of the book and it's telling you what to do with the various things that happen supposedly after you die. So let me tell you about this book. This is the Chogyam Trungpa version. So he didn't actually translate the book as far as I understand. It looks like this Francesca uh, Fremantle actually translated the Bardo Toldal and then Chogyam Trungpa probably vetted it and provided an introduction. And to me the best part of this book is Chogyam Trungpa's introduction to it. Chogyam Trungpa is a very uh, the kids today would call him problematic uh, Buddhist teacher. He did a lot of stuff that is very hard to justify in terms of ethical Buddhist practice. There's a movie about him called Crazy Wisdom. Uh, I reviewed it. I don't think I, I don't know if I did a video on it. I might have just done a written review of it. Uh, it was years ago. And uh, I remember finding the movie pretty entertaining, but they kind of glossed over the more troubling aspects of Chogyam Trungpa, although they did acknowledge that they existed. But the thing about Chogyam Trungpa is he wrote good books. Well, okay, he wrote at least an introduction to a good book and one good book, as far as I know. I read his Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism a long, long time ago. I, I can't remember much about it now, except that I really, really enjoyed it at the time. And, and I have to say I really liked the introduction he wrote to this book. Uh, just as an example, I'll read you my favorite bit. It comes on page 7. And he's talking about the hungry ghost realm, one of these various realms that you can be born into after you die in this life. And he says, In the hungry ghost realm, there is a tremendous feeling of richness, of gathering a lot of possessions. Whatever you want, you do not have to look for, but you find yourself possessing it. And this makes us more hungry, more deprived, because we get satisfaction not from possessing alone, but from searching. But now, since we have everything already, we cannot go out and look for something and possess it. It is very frustrating, a fundamental, insatiable hunger. It is as though you are completely full so that you cannot eat anymore, but you love to eat, and so you begin to have hallucinations of the flavor of food and the pleasure of eating it, tasting it, chewing it, swallowing it, and digesting it. The whole process seems luxuriant, and you feel extremely envious of other people who can really be hungry and eat. And that's just two paragraphs in there. I like the way that Trungpa relates the various teachings of the Tibetan Book of the Dead to people living in this life. And that one is especially, I think a lot of the people who study the law of attraction should probably read this because every person I've ever met who is into the law of attraction talks about manifesting abundance and everybody I've ever seen who talks about manifesting abundance seems to me to be a person who has plenty of abundance already probably doesn't need to be manifesting any more of it but there you go that's my commentary on the law of attraction so I, I like that part of the book and one of the reasons I was interested in reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead is because of Dogen's chapter called Doshin, which is translated as The Heart of the Way by Tanahashi et al. And since I've read the Koben, and since I've read the Nishijima cross translation of the section, I'll read this section to you in from the... Uh, I don't know if I've ever read the Tanahashi version of this section, but this is a, a little um, paragraph 
well, let's see, in their version it comes in four paragraphs, probably knowing Dogen's way of paragraphing, it's just one single long paragraph, but here it is. When you leave this life, and before you enter the next life, there is a place called an intermediary realm. You stay there for seven days. You should resolve to keep chanting the names of the three treasures without ceasing while you are there. The three treasures are Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. After seven days, you die into another intermediary realm and remain there for no more than seven days. At this time, you can see and hear without hindrance, like someone with a celestial eye. Resolve to encourage yourself to keep chanting the names of the three treasures without ceasing. I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Dharma, I take refuge in the Sangha. After passing through the intermediary realm, when you approach your parents to be conceived, resolve to maintain authentic wisdom. Keep chanting refuge in the three treasures in your mother's womb. Do not neglect chanting while you are being born. Resolve deeply to dedicate yourself to chant and take refuge in the three treasures through the six sense roots. When your life ends, your eyesight will suddenly become dark. Know that this is the end of your life and be determined to chant, I take refuge in the Buddha, etc. Then all Buddhas in the ten directions will show compassion to you. Even if due to conditions you are bound to an unwholesome realm, you will be able to be born in the Deva realm, which is the realm of gods, or in the presence of the Buddha. Bow and listen to the Buddha. After darkness arises in your eyes, continue to chant refuge in the three treasures until you enter the intermediary realm and further. So that's more or less the same thing as what's written in the Nishijima Cross version. And it's kind of interesting to me because that's the only place in any of Dogen's writings, at least that I've dug into so far, in which he talks about any sort of after-death realms or anything. But the Tibetan Book of the Dead goes into great detail about this stuff. And I always kind of wondered if maybe the Tibetan Book of the Dead was more or less an expansion on that. The same thing that uh, Dogen writes in Doshin, uh, the heart of the way or the will to the truth is what Nishijima and Cross called it. And after reading at least this one version of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, I would say that what Dogen writes and what's in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, probably just judging from those two examples alone, uh, came from the same root source. So there must be a source somewhere that is, uh, the, you know, where this all stems from. Or it could be personal experience of people in states of deep meditation, remembering their own pasts and so forth. I'm not against that idea. I, I don't put forward that idea as what I think is the source of this, but, you know, I'm not the kind of person who's going to say, no way is that possibly the source of it. But I'm kind of more inclined to look at it as a matter of history. Now, where did Dogen get these ideas is, has always been a question to me. And if anybody knows, if anybody's ever answered this, uh, please let me know in the comments or send me an email or something, because I'd love to know. Uh, because I don't. I can only assume that this is something that he learned in his training in the Tendai sect, because that was the first version of Buddhism that he trained in when he was a teenager. And that uh, they tend to talk about things like this in the Tendai Buddhism. Um, although I've never really studied Tendai Buddhism, I, I actually looked a few months ago for whatever Tendai Buddhist texts were translated in English, and there wasn't much. 
but I'll look again and see what I can find. The book itself is, as I say, to me, the best part of the book was Chogyung Trungpa's introduction to it, which is only, I don't know, 20 pages or so? It's not very long. It might be less than 20 pages. And then the rest of the book, I, I found myself struggling through it because it gets very repetitive. And basically the message is, if I were to boil it down, is you're going to see a weird thing and then the weird thing is described in, in great detail of what the weird thing is. This is in the after-death state. And what you should do about it is try to maintain your balance and try not to be attracted or repelled by it and just stay with whatever it is. It kind of sounds to me like general instructions for meditation. It sounds almost like a very, very poetic way to describe what happens in Shikantaza, the just sitting meditation that I've been doing for the last 35 or so years, in which no matter what comes up in Shikantaza meditation, you try to maintain your composure. This is kind of the same thing writ large and kind of tacked onto a narrative of a person going through various states after death. Uh, and the states are described, as I say, and they're not described exactly the way Dogen describes his states of after death, but there's enough resemblance between them that I think, like I said before, that we're talking about the same source. So, just to give you a taste of it, let me read you a section that I found kind of interesting. This is to be read to the dying or dead person, and this is quite late in the book, so they've gone through a whole bunch of other things before this, and you're supposed to say to the dying or dead person, O son of noble family, after the 30 wrathful herukas, I'm not sure what herukas are, the 28 yoginis will emerge in turn from within your brain and appear before you with various heads and bearing various symbols. Do not be afraid of them, but recognize whatever appears as the play of your mind, your own projections. At this moment of reaching the crucial point, remember the instructions of your guru. And let me see, I think I liked this paragraph a lot. O son of a noble family, from the north, the six yoginis of the north will emerge from within your brain and appear before you. Uh, Vayu Devi, wind goddess, blue wolf-headed, waving a flag in her hand. Nari, woman, red buffalo-headed, holding a stake in her hand. Varahi, sow, black, with the head of a sow, holding a noose of teeth in her hand. A noose of teeth. Sounds really weird. Vajra, red, with the head of a crow, holding a child's skin in her hand. That's pretty gross. Uh, Maha Hastini, elephant, dark green, elephant-headed, holding a large corpse in her hand and drinking its blood. And Varuna Devi, water goddess, blue, serpent-headed, holding a noose of snakes in her hand. It's easier to visualize a noose of snakes than a noose of teeth uh, in her hand. Do not be afraid of them. And it kind of goes on from there. Like, do not be afraid of these various things. A lot of them are basically described as having sex with each other. Uh, that's the way I interpret it. He doesn't exactly come right out and say it, but they talk about these consorts being, you know, bound together and stuff, and uh, drinking skulls full of blood. So, so there's a lot of gross-out imagery. If you're into heavy metal, you'd probably love this stuff, because there's tons of gross-out imagery. Somebody should do a heavy metal concept album based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Are you listening Randy Blythe? But 
you know that's uh, that that could be a great uh, I'd, I'd buy that that could be cool so it's hard to say if I would recommend this book I highly recommend the introduction if you you know have a moment and want to go read the Chogyam Trungpa introduction I think it's a pretty good introduction and has a lot of interesting things to say the rest I don't know and I don't know what I'm gonna do with all these other Tibetan books of the dead that I've got you know especially this one this is uh, claims to be the first complete translation it's much fatter than the others I don't know if I'll end up reading them I'll probably read the introductions to each of them and then uh, you know leaf through the other bits to see what's in there. Uh, one of the things I think would be interesting, and this is sort of a, a plea to those of you listening, if you have any ideas if this already exists or not, I would be interested in seeing if there was a book out there that talked about the various Buddhist ideas of the after-death state and what happens there and which, you know, which schools believe which things. That would be real interesting to me. I wonder if anybody's ever put that together in a book. It also might be interesting if somebody put together in a book just the various uh, what happens after you die traditions from a bunch of religions and just kind of, you know, compared and contrasted them sounds like a kind of project I would dream about doing and then never actually get done. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll work on that. It's, it's fascinating stuff. I take it with a grain of salt. Like, if this is what they say happens after you die, my point of view on that is... I used to take a really hard-line point of view, like, nobody knows what happens after you die. These people are just making stuff up. It could be that this stuff is kind of a Buddhist version of Dante's Inferno. You know, Dante's Inferno is supposedly what happens after a Christian dies, but it really has no relation to the Bible. You know, whether you take the Bible to be authoritative or not is beside the point, but if you take the Bible to be authoritative, well, Dante's Inferno is written by Dante. It's not supposedly divinely manifested, so he just kind of made up whatever he wanted uh, to talk about what happens to the people who go to hell after they die. You know, he might have been drawing for various traditions and stuff. So I think that's where most of it comes from. It's a storytelling tradition. And the idea that maybe people in deep meditative states have access to memories or, you know, other ways of understanding the after-death state does not seem impossible to me, but it seems kind of unlikely to me. So, you know, jury's out. Uh, it's just, it's just a kind of a lot of gross-out ghost stories if you don't believe it. And uh, the main message of just trying to hold on to the balanced state at the center of everything, no matter what happens, I think is a very basic overall Buddhist message, a very basic overall meditation message that Buddhism has a lot of. And that this seems to be a kind of a poetic extrapolation of it, as I say, tacked to a narrative of what happens to a person after she or he dies. So just take that with a grain of salt. As I said, maybe one of these days I'll read the other books and review them. Don't hold your breath for that, but I might. I just think it's interesting to look into this stuff and see what is there. 
So, if you want to donate to me looking through stuff and seeing what's there and buying more $1 books from various goodwills that I happen upon in my travels, uh, so you can send a donation to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That's hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is my main source of, of uh, income right now. Uh, you get to my Patreon and PayPal links if you go there. But remember, this is always offered for free, so you don't have to donate if you don't want to donate. Thanks a lot, though, to those of you who donate. We will see you next time. Have a good time all the time. Bye.